0: My sixth grade teacher had a tough assignment, my class. We, for whatever reason, we just had a a difficult group of boys, most of them, to deal with in my group. My sixth grade teacher, her name was Miss Sainsbury, and she was actually an awesome teacher. She She was creative, she was fun, she was kind, and... She was one of those teachers that, as you were leading up to sixth grade, you were looking forward to being in her class. But even an experienced, skilled teacher can often be confronted with a difficult group. And that particular year when she had my class, there was just a lot to manage. Partway through the year, one of the things that she started to do was, every time the kids uh, were acting out, she would put a little mark on the board to indicate that we would lose one minute of recess. Oh, man, now that just turned my screws, right? That killed me. I lived for recess and lunch and then recess. (laughs) We had two recesses back then. I don't know if they do that anymore, but I should give five recesses. Okay, that was totally a tangent. So that really got to me. And it, it like over days, and I might even turn to like a week, we just kept losing more and more time because this rowdy bunch of guys that, you know, many of whom were my friends just like would not keep their mouths shut, interrupt, not following the rules. So I just kind of had it with this rule. So I decided I am going to run away from school. I said, this is going to be my act of civil disobedience, although I didn't know what that was. I just thought, okay, I got to do something. This has to stop. This is unfair. This is an injustice. I'm trying to be good because I want to get outside and run around. So I planned it all out. I lived like a mile from the school, so it wasn't a huge deal. I told my friends, I said, hey, I am taking off after recess. And I want to make sure I want to skip that part. And you, can just, you guys can just tell her where I am, that I, I ran away. So everybody else files in the classroom. You know, I leave the school, and I just, I just walk home. And uh, I get home, and I call my mom. Which of course, it's the best thing to do when you run away from school, I guess. I didn't really plan that part out. She picks up the phone at work, and I'm like, I'm at home. I ran away from school. She's like, what? You know, so I'm in the middle of this crazy conversation with my mom, and here hear a knock at the door. I go to the door, open the door. There's the principal. You know, I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know. She found me. How did she find me? It was not hard. She knew where I lived because, actually, it was her house. We bought it from her. So I didn't really think that far through either. <clears throat> she, she, she brought me back to the school. We sat down with the teacher, and uh, we started to talk about, you know, what's going on, Brian? I talked about, hey, there's this rule, and I don't think it's fair, and, uh, you know, I'm losing recess time, and I'm not doing anything wrong. That's why I ran away. And so we negotiated, and, I, and to my shock, my utter shock, At the end of that meeting, they changed the rule, and I did not get punished. (laughs) That's not to say my parents didn't want to punish me at home. However, that was what happened. It was amazing, right? So I'm not advising any kids in here to do that, okay? It was not really the most well-thought-out plan, as you can see. But I think they saw in me, you know, a a heart that was wanting to see, you know, real justice. and wasn't trying to rebel. I just was trying to make a point. Now, we all know that it is important to know our rights. Right? As American citizens, we have these certain rights that are delineated in the Bill of Rights and then lots of amendments and all those kinds of things. You know, whether, it's, whether it's a case in court or you get pulled over by the police or there's an argument between neighbors or whatever weird things you end up entangled with, we've got certain rights. But if you don't know those rights... It's not a guarantee that everyone else will respect them. So if we don't know what is ours, right, oftentimes those things can or will be violated by other people. And we'll never know because we didn't know that was something that they weren't allowed to do. We're in the, this is the last week of our series called Intimacy, Identity, Authority. We're looking about this, this this trajectory and in some ways it's also kind of a cycle of the primary point of our life, which we started the year with is knowing God, walking with God, having a relationship with God. That is what this is all about. You know, the, the catechism, the, the is it the Westminster catechism says right, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. We're relating to God in an incredible relationship that can be enjoyed. Then secondly, when we connect with God and we, we understand who he is in his word, right, and we, we have a relational connection with him, he can lead us into this place, as, as Ben was talking about, knowing who we are. We know who God is, we know God, and he leads us into a place of knowing who we are, our identity. And that automatically spills out into knowing your authority, And that's what we're going to wrap up with today. Last week, we talked about the primary and first point of authority that a believer has is that we have self-control. We can live a life that is self-controlled, that we have authority over ourselves. We are not controlling anyone else, but we are able to control ourselves. And this week, we're looking at kind of externally. What do we as believers have authority over? All right? So... To answer this question, I want to look at uh, Matthew chapter 10. Two short verses in this chapter. The background of this, this is Jesus sending out the disciples to proclaim the kingdom. And this is what it says. As you go, he's sending them out. He's pairing them up. They're going in twos. They got buddies. They're using the buddy system invented by Jesus here, okay? Thanks for that one laugh. All right. Jesus says... As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. As you go, guys, disciples, as you go, This is the message you're going to speak. The kingdom of heaven has come near. It's a pretty short sermon. Easy to write. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Here's what we see in the Bible. Okay, we've got to back up a little bit. Before this happens, we see in the Gospels that Jesus himself has authority, right? It's stated in one of the Gospels that here's a man with authority. He speaks as one with authority, and that authority is also backed up with authority over certain areas in the natural world. We see Jesus, right, heals all kinds of people with various afflictions, sickness, the lame are walking, the blind are getting their sight. He has authority over evil spirits. He casts evil spirits out of people. He even has authority over death. He raises two different people from the dead in his ministry. Sorry, three. Lazarus, this little girl, the son of this guy named Jairus, there's a story about that, and then also uh, the son of a widow, the widow of Nain, I think it is. He just happens to see a funeral procession passing by and he goes, wait a second. This ain't happening. Raises the guy from the dead. Okay? Jesus has authority over nature. We see him on two occasions. A storm immediately stops when he either speaks in the first case and in the second case he steps into the boat after walking in the water and immediately that storm stops. He has authority over nature. And even like you know, the whole water and wine deal as well. Now, a lot of people look at that and they either go, well, that's just myth or, you know, that didn't really happen, which is kind of we're not going to really go there today, but that's a legitimate question, okay? But if you do believe that those things actually happened that Jesus, you know, performed these miracles. So a lot of people point to that and they go, well, the reason Jesus did all that was just to show people that he was God, that he was the Messiah. So that stuff's not really for anybody else. That was just kind of Jesus saying, "I'm God." Here I am, I'm the son of God, let's go. Believe in me. There's a couple problems with that. And the first is that Jesus could have stopped after just doing four miracles. The Jewish people were looking for four miracles to be performed by the the Messiah to know that the Messiah was this person. The first was that he would heal someone born with a certain condition because they believed that anyone born with some kind of an affliction, they were cursed by God. And so Jesus heals the man born blind, right, in the Gospel of John. And they say, who sinned, this guy or his parents? And Jesus says, this was for the glory of God. The second one was casting out a mute spirit. And that was because the method of the, the uh, religious leaders in that time was to learn the name of a demon, and then they'd be able to cast it out. But if the person was mute, guess what? They can't talk, so they can't learn the name, and they can't cast it out. So they thought the Messiah is going to come, and he'd be able to do that. The third was the healing of someone with leprosy because they also believed that that was a curse from God and so only God could reverse that. And then lastly, the Messiah would raise someone from the dead after three days because they believed that the soul of a person, their spirit, would hover over the body for three days and a certain righteous person might be able to just kind of yank that spirit and put it back in their body. But Jesus raised Lazarus after three days, right? So once that happened, you see in the Gospel of John, they are set on actually killing him. There's no question in their minds that he's the Messiah, but they know he's the Messiah, and they think, this can't be, we don't like him, so we're going to kill him. Okay? So the first thing is that Jesus could have just done those four things, and everyone would have known, there is the Messiah. Right? Or he didn't have to repeat these miracles over and over again. Why calm the storm twice? Why feed the 5,000? Well, 5,000 once, 4,000 a second time. He did it multiple times. Right, In a number of places it says Jesus healed all the people that were brought to him. He exhausted himself in ministering to people. All of them. Keep bringing them. I'm gonna keep going. Jesus, you see, he connects the miracles to the message of the kingdom. Yes, it's pointing to that he is the son of God. There's something special going on with Jesus, but it doesn't stop there. It's because he is the bringer of the kingdom. Jesus says, proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is near. And then with that message, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons, right? The miracles are to show that heaven is invading earth. There's no sickness in heaven. There's no death in heaven. There's no evil spirits influencing people in heaven. So Jesus is the seed of heaven that is planted into Mary. It's a heaven invasion into earth. When he is born, that seed can start to grow into a person. And then as more people believe in Jesus, his life gets multiplied in them, and heaven starts to multiply on this earth. Are you with me? Okay? Okay. The miracles are tied to the message that heaven is invading earth. All right. Uh, Spring break 2001. 2000, sorry. Spring break 2000, or winter break. When I was in college, I drove down to Georgia to visit a friend of mine that was uh, at Gordon College but was living in Georgia. And as you're driving through Georgia uh, along 95, you see this. Oh man, I'm sorry, that's so pixelated. Okay, I got it from Wikipedia. All right, if you can put those pixels together. This is a picture, does anyone know what it is? It's kudzu, right, okay? Kudzu is uh, a species of plant that was brought over from Japan in the 1930s and 40s as a kind of a ground cover uh, that they planted like millions of acres this, in this stuff in the south. Little did they know it's an invasive species. It grows, I think, at the rate of like 60 feet per year, like, like gathering ground, okay? And so you see it along the highway just taking over huge swaths of land, growing up into trees and pulling them down, okay? It's a, really, it's a, it's a real nuisance down there, really hard to deal with. They get rid of this plant. Now, this is a negative invasion. Right? There's a seed, there's a plant that is brought over and it starts to grow. It starts to spread. Right? It's the same with Jesus, except this one is a beneficial invasive species. Right? It's heaven. It's the species of heaven in a person who's both heavenly God and he's also man. Right? The miracles are tied to the message that the kingdom of God is near. It's coming. It is advancing. The curse is being reversed. All the things that, that are bad in this world, God says, behold, I am making all things new. That is what Jesus was doing. Now, the funny thing, point number two is, it's, yes, it's tied to the message, and Jesus duplicated many of these things. He could have just done them once. He also, as you read in this passage, expected the disciples to do this. So it wasn't just, look at me, I'm God's son. Boom, you're healed. Wham, you can see. Water to wine, no problem, right? It's okay, guys, you've seen me do this. Now you go do it. Now you do it. I'm sending you out in pairs. Now you do it. It wasn't supposed to stop with Jesus. Jesus expected the disciples to expect Miracles. If you read through Matthew 14, this is a crazy chapter, okay? Jesus is is ministering to some people. He's talking and teaching, and there's this huge crowd that gathers around him, and they're out in the wilderness somewhere. It's getting late in the day. Maybe people start complaining and, you know, grumbling. That's normally what people do when they start to get hangry, right? Okay. You know, disciples are like, Jesus, people are hungry. Jesus says, don't send them away. You give them something to eat. What? Jesus, we got nothing here. You know, a year's wages wouldn't pay for all these people to eat. Jesus has an expectation for them to see what he's doing and do the same things. That's a crazy statement. I mean, is Jesus just messing with them? Maybe a little bit but there's an expectation there. You give them something to eat. Quick application of this. A lot of times we are praying and asking God to do something, and he's going, you do it. I've given you what you need. You do it. All right, so later, Jesus, then you know the story, right? He feeds the 5,000. He multiplies the bread. They get 12 baskets full after that, okay? Jesus then, in Matthew 14, sends him off in a boat, he says, you guys go on ahead. I'm going to go pray for a little while by myself. Jesus goes up on a little mountain. He prays for a little while. And then somehow he decides he's going to walk on the water. Okay? So he walks out to them. And they go, it's a ghost. They freak out. Right? In the middle of this, this storm, they probably can't see because It's raining in their eyes. Who knows? And Peter's like, I don't know. This is a crazy plan. If it's you, Jesus, call me out on the water as if a ghost couldn't do that. I, I don't know why that somehow validated validated it for him but somehow that worked and so Peter walks out on the water and as he begins to look at the waves and the wind he becomes afraid and he starts to sink right and Jesus runs over pulls him up and they both go into the boat right and he rebukes Peter and says Peter why'd you doubt you have little faith no one had ever done that in the history of the world and Jesus is expecting Peter to believe that it's possible and to continue walking, even though he's getting, he might have been getting crashed by waves. He knows how high. I mean, is he, if the waves are blowing, is he going up and down on the waves? Is he falling over? I mean, you've you got to kind of picture it. It wasn't maybe the easiest thing. At the end of that chapter, we see this crazy picture of, you know, people find Jesus, and whoever's just grabbing his cloak is getting healed. There's something more going on here than just Jesus is the miracle guy and everyone else watch and be impressed. And here's the clincher. John 14 says this. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. All right. Point two. The apostles continue on the ministry of Jesus after he goes away. Jesus dies, right? He's killed. He raises again. Holy Spirit comes. And you see the apostles start doing the same things. All through the book of Acts, we see people getting healed of sickness. There's two people that get raised from the dead. There's uh, evil spirits that get cast out of people. All these crazy stories are happening just like they did with Jesus. And we see a glimpse of greater things happening, as he just said. Peter's shadow is healing people. Paul has a handkerchief, or sorry, has his apron. They're bringing his apron to people, and they're getting healed, right? Acts 28, let me give you a quick story. So Paul gets in trouble when he goes to Jerusalem with the religious leaders. They go, here's the man that's, that's preaching this message all over the world, and he's turning people away from the faith. And they arrest him, and there's all this drama about the Jews trying to conspire and to kill him, and the Romans, not sure what to do with the heck with Paul, And finally, Paul says, I appeal to Caesar, and they go, okay, we're going to send you to Caesar. And so there's this long journey through the book of Acts towards the end of Paul traveling, and at one point, he's on a ship, and the ship goes down uh, in a storm. And they make it to this island, and uh, the prisoners are spared by the guards, and uh, they, they start building a fire, and a snake jumps out of the fire and latches onto Paul, and he shakes it off and throws it into the fire. It's a viper, It says. And everyone's waiting for him to die, and they go, "Oh, this prisoner—he must have been cursed by God because he escaped the storm, but now he's gotten bit by a snake." And then they realize that he is not affected at all by the snake. Isn't that amazing? Paul doesn't miss a beat. He just goes, "Oh, I got bit by a snake. Wham! Get out of me! Right? Get off me! Burn up in the fire!" I mean, it's just incredible to me. There's a, there's an authority there, and so then they get welcomed into the home of this chief official. And you know what Paul does? He finds out that the chief official's father is sick, and so he heals him. And then all the people of the island come to Paul, and he heals them all. All of them. Paul, like Jesus, ties miracles to the message. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. Said and done. By the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around, Elikrium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. How has he fully proclaimed it? Through what he's said and done. 1 Corinthians 2, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Wow. I hope you're starting to suspect that there's something more to the authority of believers than maybe what you have been led to think. The miracles are tied to the message. So a lot of people believe that all that happened, but they say, okay, well, but that's not for us today. That happened in the early church so that everyone would be certain that the Bible was God's word. And once we have the Bible, we don't need miracles anymore. Now that argument has problems. One, that's not in the Bible. The Bible, there is nowhere in the Bible that says that these things are gonna stop. And any explanation of that is is terrible exegesis. The second thing is, they had miracles to help people convince, they lived at the same time period as Jesus. Do you think we need him now? He lived 2,000 years ago. I mean, it's not like somehow they had a greater need to see them than we do. But again, that's, that's still apart from the point, which is that the miracles are tied to the message. We are to operate with the same authority of Jesus and the apostles and those that did miracles that did not write the Bible and were not apostles, like Stephen, Right? is that he was performing all kinds of crazy wonders and signs were being done by him. We see Jesus pass his ministry to the disciples who become the apostle, and they pass it on to others. Right? Guys, Jesus has power, and so do you. If you were the devil, wouldn't you want to convince the church that we didn't really have any power to affect anything supernaturally in this world? That would be a great strategy if I was the devil. Convince the church they don't have many rights. They don't have much authority. We're just a bunch of wimpy Christians suffering through this life, waiting for the Antichrist to come and take over the world. I'm sorry if that's your... I don't mean to... That's not my end times theology. If it's yours, I don't want to offend you. I just disagree with it strongly. Okay? (laughs) Jesus had authority. Jesus has power. He is alive. Our faith activates that power. It's an understanding and knowledge of our rights, our authority that activate that here, now, right? We have authority over evil spirits. I tell my kids, if you see a monster, I don't say it's not real. I say, tell it to get out in Jesus' name. I want them from day one to know, demons cannot mess with you. They have to bow to the feet of Jesus. And if you see a monster in your closet, I'm not gonna say, you you didn't see that. That's make-believe. Because what if they actually did? I say, just tell it to get out in Jesus' name. They have to listen to you. I want them to know that they have authority Right? They are children of God. They are brothers and a, daughter and, a, and a sister of Jesus, and they've got authority. We have authority over disease. Now it does not mean that every time we pray for someone, we're going to see them be healed. But what's God's will? To do what He commands us, which is heal the sick, raise the dead,, right? cleanse leprosy and cast out demons. want to know what God's will is? Do what Jesus did. Follow His commands. When we see people that are afflicted and we turn away, we are disobeying God. Now, it's not in some way that, okay, now God's mad at you. I understand this is a process of growth and getting the courage to get there. But it's the church as a whole, it is our responsibility to bring heaven to this earth. That's our responsibility, all of us together. We are working to reverse the afflictions, and to destroy the work of the devil. That's what Jesus came to do. It is there to release people from bondage. Even death. The normal response of a Christian when someone dies is to pray for them to be resurrected. That is the normal response. Why? Why? Huh, well, that's what Jesus did, and I want to be like Jesus. That's what the apostles did, and I want to follow their example. I know, this sounds weird, and if this is your first time in church, I'm sorry. <laughs> the Bible is really weird, okay? Jesus is doing all kinds of weird stuff. We're crazy enough to believe it. We, the whole Christian faith is based on the premise that some guy rose from the dead. So this is, this is all pretty weird stuff. Right. now two quick sub points. Miracles do not confirm someone's theology. If someone is doing miracles, it doesn't mean everything they're saying is correct because faith activates that authority. It also does not mean miracles do not confirm someone's character. Someone could have really bad character and they could be performing miracles because they have faith. If they believe, God's going to work through them. Guys, Jesus has power and so do you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've got power. We're the ones that walk into the room and it's a game changer. Are we gonna win every battle? No, but does that mean we're just gonna give up? No, that's exactly what the the enemy of our souls wants us to do is to give up and to relinquish the authority that Jesus won as the God-man the first fruits among many, the seed of heaven, the one who's made us brothers and sisters and given us the authority of heaven to get rid of darkness. That is what we are to be about in this world. And to multiply that authority by making disciples of all nations. Jesus has power and so do we. We gotta wield it or yield it. That's the way it goes in the kingdom. So this is what we're going to do. I think God wants to heal some people physically today, which is not a surprise because he wants to do that every day. Because the miracles are tied to the message. Because heaven's invading earth.